morning. How are y'all? Good? I married an older woman. She's no longer going to be 40. She's going to be in her 40s. I'll still be 40 for, for about 14 more days. So anyway, it's fun. I like to, for those 14 days, have a lot of fun telling her, reminding her that uh, she might be my cougar, but I'm her sugar daddy. Is that legal to say in church? <laughs> all right, all right, all right. That's enough. We should probably get holy in here. So, man, it's so good to see you all. Uh, it's fun, fun to be here. Been fun preaching lately, fun speaking. Um, man, last week we, we started with the blood, and uh, it was just kind of, you know, honestly, just something the Lord pressed on my heart when Peter Lewis was here to speak on the blood, and then uh, flowing from that was also the cross. So today we're going to focus on the cross and uh, next week, as we were in worship um, t today, I asked Nicole, I was like, am I speaking next week? She looked at the calendar, she's like, yeah, you're speaking again. I was like, oh dear, three weeks in a row, but I'm going to go on the name, the name of Jesus, the name of God. So next week will be the name, so you're not going to want to miss that. Uh, yeah, some fun things coming up. Don't forget the Claire Serving Week this week, and next Sunday, uh, 6 p.m. is the service. Um, but man, Jesus' blood was the finished work. It was, it was the work that paid for everything in full. And when we're saying that something isn't possible, we're really saying that God's blood isn't enough. It says with Christ, with God, all things are possible, okay? So if we ever say something's not possible or something's not good enough or something, we're actually saying his blood isn't enough. And that's not the case. And last week, we, we covered everything with the bloodline. There's this, still this red tape here. If you weren't here last week, uh, just catch the, the, the message online. But, but what we did was we wrote everything down that we were being impacted by, maybe sin, maybe hurts, maybe hang-ups, whatever that was, that the blood cleanses us, it covers us, it connects us. And we put that on a piece of paper. We ripped them up at the altar Friday night. They prayed over them, and then we stomped them because the Bible also says that we can crush Satan under our feet. So we stomped on them because they're gone. Even our sin is forgiven as far as the east is to the west. It's bottom of an ocean floor. That the only way we ever get it back is if we pick it back up. But the Lord's forgotten about it. And we talked about shame. But today I want to talk about the cross. And I want to talk about PDA. All right? When we typically hear PDA, we think like that's kind of some gross, weird like term, right? Remember, it takes us back to like junior high or high school. Anybody else? But PDA, it's, it's, it's public display of affection. And how many were here eight years ago? How many were in upper room eight years ago? Yeah. A few of you. So eight years ago, I spoke this message on Easter about PDA, and the greatest public display of affection is the cross. Jesus on that cross. And I actually want to do part two or version two of that today and just connect it to the blood and into the name next week. And, and really, the definition defined, PDA, is public display of affection, inappropriate demonstration of physical or intimate attraction in public where others can see. That's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. He took himself, put himself on the cross, and publicly displayed himself in affection and in intimacy and in love for you and I. And that's right where we're going to go today. In Hebrews 12, 2, it says, it says this, looking to who? Jesus. The founder and perfect of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. For, for the what set before him? The joy. He endured what? 
the joy set before him, every transgression, every person, every injustice, everything set before him became a joy for him to place himself on the cross and become that propitiation on behalf of whatever that or who that joy is. It says, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, like Corey was mentioning. Like, Jesus is our greatest intercessor. He came to earth, he conquered death, hell, and the grave, he resurrected, and now he's sitting with the Father. And, and this is the thing, and he's going on our behalf to the Father, to God. This is amazing um, um, relationship and oneness in God that, that he came to the earth, and he public displayed himself on a cross for you and I. And I just want to go into scripture here. We're going to read Matthew 27, most of the chapter. We're going to start at verse 27. So Matthew 27, 27. We'll have it on the screen. If you have a phone Bible or your, your physical Bible, just follow with me here for a little bit. Now, we just got past the part uh, previously in that chapter, like, you know, Peter denies Jesus. We go into the chapter 27, then Pilate, he's put on trial. Pilate says, you know, this blood isn't on my hands. He had the opportunity to free Jesus. He didn't. But how many know that Jesus didn't want to be freed? We'll get into that here in a moment. So we're going to start at verse 27. After the trial, now the soldiers are taking Jesus. It says, some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and called out the entire regiment. Now, now, called out the entire regiment for one man. Do you think in the back of their mind they thought he might be a little powerful? I think so too. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They, wo they wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. And they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. And they knelt before him in mockery and taunted, Hail, King Jesus, King of the Jews. How many believe that part of this was prophetic? They don't even realize what they're doing. They don't even understand. They, they are putting a scarlet robe on the Messiah, and they're saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they're doing it in mockery, not knowing that they're actually prophesying the truth. And they spit on him and grabbed a stick and struck him on the head with it. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they had done it so long and beat him so much, they were tired of it. They took off the robe and put his own clothes on him again, and they led him away to be crucified. Along the way, they came across a man named Simon, who was from Serene, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Now, we're going to get back to this verse here a little later in the sermon, and we're going to talk about this. But did you know you're part of this process? He didn't just die for you, he died as you. And they went out to a place called Golgatha, which means place of the skull. The soldiers gave him wine mixed with bitter gall, also known as myrrh. See, see, here's the thing, but when he had tasted it, he refused to drink it. Now, if you remember, what did the wise men bring Jesus as gifts? Gold, frankincense, and what? See, Jesus freely received the, the, the righteous, the, the pure gift of myrrh. But when it was defiled and mixed as a poison, he denied the defiled, unrighteous gift of myrrh. See, see, there's something different there. See, myrrh was used as an embalming oil. It was also used as a fragrance and even an incense at times for worship. See, there's this thing to where they're defiling something and trying to present it, whereas the wise men with pure hearts presented it to Jesus as a gift. They're trying to force it on. There's a total difference. I'm going to leave it at that, but, but here's the deal. 
Jesus knows the truth and the, the, what, the purity of a heart. He knows and he just wants the authenticity, the genuine heart of a true gift. It says, after they had nailed him to the cross, the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Then they sat around and kept guard as he hung there. A sign was fastened above Jesus' head, announcing the charge against him. Now this is the accusation, but again, very prophetic. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. The people by, passing by, shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. How many know that he actually did in that moment destroy the works of the enemy and he rebuilt something called the kingdom of God and his true temple three days later by the resurrection? Well, then, if you are the son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. Now, if he had saved himself, or if you remember when, they, when Peter cut off the soldier's ear, he looked at Peter and he says, don't you know I can call 12 legion of angels to save me? That's roughly 70,000 angels. Now, four, four angels destroyed an entire army, right? He's like, don't you understand? I can remove myself if I wanted to. But if he had removed himself or if somebody had, had gotten him off of there, he couldn't have died on our behalf for us. The leading priests and teachers of religious law and the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself, so he is the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now, we will believe in him. He trusted God, so let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even, if the revolu even the revolutionaries who were crucified with him ridiculed him in the same way. At noon, at noon, darkness fell until about three o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me or forsaken me? See, he, in that moment, he became fully man. He became fully flesh, felt fully abandoned, but who did he cry out to? And his turmoil and his trial, let's listen, Jesus faced everything we may face on this earth. He faced mockery, he faced abuse, he faced um, abandonment, he faced hurt, he faced false accusations, he faced hardship, he faced cultural issues, issues in society, yet he's crying out to the Father. Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on the reed stick so he could drink. But the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. Then Jesus shouted out again and he released his spirit. At that moment, I talked about this last week, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple, the curtain of heaven was torn in two from heaven to earth, from top to bottom. The earth shook Rocks split apart and tombs opened up. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead, like Corey even mentioned that today. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem, and appeared to many people. Now here was based on the prophetic abuse that the soldiers gave. The Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that had happened, and then they ended up saying this. This man truly is the Son of God. And many women who had come from Galilee with Jesus to care for him were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of James and John, and sons of Zebedee. As evening approached, Joseph, a rich man from Arimathea, 
who had become a follower of Jesus, went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. In Mark 15, it says that with great risk, he went to Pilate to ask for the body. And Pilate issued an order to release it to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a long sheet of clean linen cloth. He placed it in his own new tomb, which had been carved out of a rock. Then he rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. Both Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting across from the tomb and watching. I find this next part interesting. The next day on the Sabbath, the leading priests and Pharisees went to see Pilate. They told him, Sir, we remember what that deceiver once said while he was still alive. After three days, I will rise from the dead, so we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everyone he was raised from the dead. If that happens, we'll be worse off than we were at first. Now... I find it interesting that the Pharisees are going to the head leader of the time and saying, muddling around in business that doesn't belong to them. That's the religious and the political spirit saying, trying to control things. And then it's amazing to me, they're like, well, you know, just in case, this could be really bad. It's to me how I receive that, like, just in case, we better make sure, like, he can't come out. And then Pilate replied, Take guards and secure the best you can. So they sealed the tomb and posted guards to protect it. Now, what we know after that is Matthew 28, the good news of the story. The good news is is not only the crucifixion, but the great news is the resurrection, right? It's the beautiful part of the story because we don't serve, like Corey was saying, a dead God. A God where we can visit a grave or a tomb. He's alive, okay? So, but here's the thing with the cross. It separated these seasons. It separated these, these times. Not just, not just years of, of AD and BC, but it literally separated what, what we were to do for sin and what happened after Jesus. We were separated from God because of sin. Our society, our humanity were separated, but God in his infinite wisdom and his love for us brought himself as Jesus gave his only begotten son to the earth to pay a price for us to be joined back to a family. And it's this beautiful story of the cross. And no longer did we need, like we talked about last week, animal blood sacrifices. That was abolished, and now we take on the blood of Jesus. No longer do we we strive and have to earn and, and do these things. Now it's a free gift of salvation through what Jesus did. But if he had removed himself, we wouldn't have had that free gift. And I just want to expand on that a little bit. Good things, it says, the Bible says, come from above. There is this thing that we go to the Old Testament, well, what about this? What about that? What about these sacrifices? What about this? What about doom and gloom? What about, what about this on the earth? Listen, there's still mysteries that I think intrigue us enough to pull us in that we're still trying to discover the mysteries of God, that we can't have all the answers of everything. If we did, would we really need him? Would there be a hunger for him? Would there be a hunger of the uncertainties? I can't explain some death. I can't explain some, some whole, like, issues But I do know there's consequences for our actions. There's consequences for what we do. There are consequences of sin. There are consequences of darkness, okay? So, but I know I serve a good God who doesn't punish because Jesus became and took on that punishment. So, so I'm not saying like there's, there's a system of bad happens. Yeah, bad happens. I preached this message once says, why does, why do bad things happen to good people? Bad things happen to all people. That's what it boils down to. Bad things happen to all people. We can't explain that. But God's grace is sufficient to cover all. Amen? So, so we get into this that there's, there's we know uh, that worry really comes from lack. 
And we know that there's no lack in the kingdom because he says, um, if you're thirsty, come to me and you'll never be thirsty again. He says his grace is sufficient. So there's these things of lack in, in what the cross did. Jesus became the answer to anything unjust. He became the justice of all. You see, he became justice himself. Jesus was delivered for our offenses and raised for our justification. And let me just say this, the motivation was love. God, God is love. See, and everything is, comes from love. Like, let, let me just, let me expand on this a little bit. If what we're doing is to just fit into a church culture to be good or, or so people won't see us doing this, that's the wrong motivation. It's gonna fade out really fast. If the motivation is, well, maybe if I do this, then I'll be noticed this or this or that. Like, like, if the motivation is love, then all of a sudden something propels me. The Bible says that when Jesus saw the people in need, he was moved with compassion. Sympathy makes us feel bad about something, but compassion actually compels us to do something about it and put our feet to action. There's this thing, that, but that's the motivation of love. See, so we have these works and we have this, this grace, this hyper grace, let's say. We have this hyper grace that, oh, anything goes, anything can happen, and he'll forgive me, and he will. And then we have this thing over here, well, well if I strive to be good enough and if I, if I yearn to, to be sinless enough, then maybe I'll just squeak in and make it into heaven. But here we have this center called love and, and, and this, the middle and the, the foundation of Christ, the foundation of God is love. God is love. So the greatest motiva motivator to change anybody, to bring, to bring uh, uh, healing into a marriage is Christ, is his love. The greatest motivator for me not to want to sin and me to be righteous and me to be holy and me to look more like Jesus is love. The greatest motivator that sent Jesus to the cross was love for his children to connect us back to a kingdom family, to an eternal family of heaven. The greatest motivator is love. It says this in Romans 5.8. It says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. He showed his love. He demonstrated his love. It wasn't just talk. I love what Corey was saying. If this, this, makes, this is absolutely makes no sense if all of this isn't true. But it makes more than sense if it is true. He showed it. He demonstrated it. John 3, 16, and I want to even elaborate to 17 that you don't see very often. It says this, for this is how God loved the world. Everybody say cosmos. cosmos. The translation from world there is cosmos. All the world. Even that person you cut off on the way to church today because they were driving way too slow and you were running late. God loves that person too. He loves the people who are doing evil. He loves the people who are making stupid decisions right now. He loves those people. Maybe difficult for us to love them, but he loves them. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes, which means convinced beyond any doubt, in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge, not to condemn, not to put down, not to kick somebody while they're down, but to save the world through him. Amen. Love the entire world, all of it. Amen. Everyone thought that Jesus was gonna come on this, this stallion and, and with a sword and just like wiping out all the evil, right? But really he came in love on a cross. And his public display of affection really looked like a hug. If you think about how he was nailed to the cross, his arms were stretched wide open. 
ready to receive all of us, every one of our injustices, every one of our mistakes, every one of our bad decisions, every one of the things that's even happened to us. He came to receive it in a hug and wrap his loving arms unconditionally, relentlessly around us. That was a public display of affection ready to embrace each one of us in our mess. John 5, 19 alludes to, he says, I only do what I see my father doing. This is Jesus on the cross, and he says, I only do what I, I see my father doing. I only say what my father's saying. I only see what my father's seeing. He's saying, I only do what I see my father doing. And this became the stance of Jesus, this public display of affection on the cross, on Calvary, dying for each one of us. God is love, and he relentlessly loves us. When love is the judge, then mercy is the verdict. And when mercy's the verdict, reconciliation becomes our sentence. This is an amazing thing. I heard somebody say once that it's, it's, it, 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 it's I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. I'm jumping ahead. But the cross became this beautiful picture of love, this beautiful public display of affection, this beautiful redemption, the redeemed for the sinner, the reconciled to the orphan, the reconciliation to the slave, that we're no longer a slave or an orphan, but we are children of God. So let me talk about the call. We got the cross, we got the call. Because the cross was the price, but the resurrection is our prize. But it's not just a heaven ticket. You see, see, many of us were like, I, I grew up in a, in a church where we were just, we would sing songs, and it was this thing that we would look forward to. I talked about that last week. As far as like, what a day, what a, what a glorious day that will be. One day, you know, we're, we're always hoping for that one day. And then I grew up like, it's never happened. What happened? You know, it was supposed to happen. Jesus' return was supposed to happen. People ask me, is all of this the end times? Yes. When is he returning? I don't know. But we're closer today than we were yesterday. Yeah, signs are pointing to it. Earthquakes, wars, rumors of wars, right? All of these things are pointing to it. You look at the blood moons. You look at all these crazy things that have happened in our culture and society and world. Yes, we're in the end times. When? I don't know. But we're closer today than we've ever been. We're closer today than we were yesterday. But I don't want that fear, I don't want that to become a fear because I live as a child of God and I get to look forward to that day. And until that day, the cross becomes this invitation and a bridge to an abundant life, not just a heaven eternal ticket life. I get to live this life on earth that becomes this, this abundant life that John 10, 10 promises that it's not just this one day, what a beautiful day that would be, and it will be. God in all of his glory, Jesus in all of his wonder, but also now I get to live this life, abundant life here on earth. So to public the display the goodness of God is part of my calling now. It's part of all of our calling that he public displayed his, himself on the cross for us to receive us in love and to conquer death, hell, and the grave. Now what's my role in this? What's my call? To make him famous. To reveal a really amazing God. To public display him in righteousness, in integrity, in character, in love. I officiated a wedding last night, and, and I talked about 1 Corinthians 13, and, and that's not just a definition of love. That is a call to a way to life to love others. That is a challenge for us to love where it doesn't envy, where it doesn't brag or boast, where it's not jealous, where it's not self-seeking, right? That is a love that is challenging us right now, especially in these times when they, we are charged with opinions, 
We are charged with injustices right now in the last year and a half. We, it, is, it is a society that is charged with division. It is charged with the, with, the, with the temptation to be mad at people and angry at leadership and angry that truths aren't coming out or mistruths are here or what to believe or what to trust or what. Ah. It is charged with an environment that is ready for love that is ready for us to publicly display his affection to those around us, even if we disagree with them. And it's boiling down to the simplest things. Having all power, he stood there powerless so that we could be powerful over our sin, over our issues, over our wrongs, over unforgiveness, over bitterness, over injustices, over all of these things. He stood there powerless so that we could be powerful. Jesus made his life about the cross directly to us and for us. See, it's time for us to rise and give an authentic portrayal of who he really is. (laughs) I don't know about you, but let me go here for a moment. For years, I was full of resentment for what I saw happen to my parents and what I saw happen to others that was supposed to be a church, that was supposed to be a loving, kind, unifying God. One thing led to the other. My parents eventually got shunned from, from, a, from a religion that they, that they believed in over, over some things. And at 12 years old, I remember thinking, and I remember knowing that that wasn't right, but not being mature enough not to blame God or the church. At 12 years old, I made a conscious decision. I will never serve God, and I will never go to a church again. At 12 years old, without maturity, and that became the framework of my theology for the next 10 to 12 years because the church did that. God didn't do that, or God did do that. And, 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 and then I would see hypocrisy. I'd say, oh, wait, they're supposed to be a believer, but now they're telling this racial joke at this dinner? They're supposed to be a pastor and an evangelist, and now they're telling this perverted joke. And I would just hold them to this high standard, and, and, and there was other things going on in our life and, and the, the way in which I was raised, and I would see things behind closed doors that wasn't, that wasn't up here. And I, I created this framework within me and my heart with an immaturity and a lack of understanding that formed these opinions and thought all Christians were hypocrites. Because I, I didn't meet one at that point yet that at least penetrated into my life that I saw, wow, I want their Jesus. Or I want their father. I want their creator. We are living in a hopeless world right now that needs the hope of Jesus, that needs the display of affection and love from the cross. They need this Jesus that created them for good. They need a Jesus that has hope. They need a Jesus that has power, that is worthy to take a moment on a Sunday unplanned and just bow at his feet because he's that good, because he's that worthy, because he's that lovable, because he's that amazing. I want people to meet that Jesus. I want people to meet that Jesus through me at work. Not, not, a, not, a, not a person who's in fear right now. Listen, I don't fear because my father says I don't have to. He didn't give me a spirit of fear. He gave me a spirit of power, love, and wisdom, a sound mind. 
There's people around me that are anxious, that don't know that, well, is this going to be forced on me? Am I, or is this going to lead to this? Are we going to become communist? All, all this stuff. I was like, man, I don't know the answer to any of that because that, that's not my focus. My focus is Jesus, and let me lead you to a Jesus who has hope. Let me lead you to a Jesus that even through the times of Israel being in captivity, they still had a good God. Let me lead you to a Jesus that, that in times of slavery, they still had a good God that was worthy of worship and worthy of not bowing down to a golden calf and worthy of going to a fiery furnace to praise and to thank and to honor. No matter what comes, let me just tell you, we have a Jesus that is worthy of our worship, worthy of our praise, worthy of our trust, worthy of our faith, and worthy to be praised and acknowledged to everyone around us. He is the only source that's going to get us through, through times. <laughs> we live in Christ's finished work. So that everything else in our lives and everything around us can operate within that finished work. He was broken so that we could be whole. He was broken so our situation could be whole. He was broken so that, so that, that injustice can be whole. Let me, let me move on here. Romans 5.17 says this. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace, his abundance grace, his abundant grace, and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. You know, we get to live as overcomers. That's one of the promises that he tells us that we're overcomers. I heard this once, heaven is my destination, destroying hell is my living, and the absence of thinking like hell is my existence. Let, let, me, let me just repeat that one more time. Heaven is my destination. Destroying hell is my living. And absence of thinking like hell is my existence. Yeah, I want to be like that. I want to be like that. You have these mirrors. Did everybody get the little tiny mirror that I got on Amazon? I'm not going to lie. I thought they were going to be much bigger than that. Nicole and Josh were making fun of me today. I was like, 240 mirrors for, for $10. This is going to be great. So then I'm like pulling it out all the way to here. I'm like, okay, I can see my eyeball. <laughs> it's the point. And we passed them out waiting for the kids to be gone because I was like, man, if, a, if 120 come in a stack that big, they're probably sharp. So <laughs> please be careful with them. But here, here's, here's the deal. This is, this is the... The, the start of my closing. That reflection means something. Jesus said that we were created in his image. We were created to be like him. We were created in, in his likeness. Okay? So when he died on the cross, he didn't just die for your sins, your mistakes, your issues. He actually died as you. There's a thing, Peter Lewis mentioned this in a, in a meeting that we had, and it was this amazing thought. And Nicole, it, it really captivated us. Like when he said the comment, and all he said was, he didn't just die for you, he died as you. So Nicole and I started to process that this week, and we're like, what does that mean? And, and we just started just externally process of, of, okay, to die for you makes you feel like accepted. It makes you feel like, man, that's, that's pretty amazing. It, it, and it's like, okay. And I get this understanding that he died for my sins. He maybe died for injustices or he died for some things that happened bad to me, right? But then when he died as me, I'm like, I was part of that process. He took all of himself and all of me 
everything of my being from the beginning of time to all of eternity, which each one of us from every generation, and he died as us and took it on and died. I want to go back to Matthew 27, 32. It says, along the way they came across a man named Simon who was from Serene, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. You were part of the process from the beginning. You were the thought from the beginning. You were the joy set before him from the beginning of the foundations of the earth. We weren't just created, you know, me 40 years ago or 41 years ago in this, in this thought. We, you weren't just created 50, 60 years ago. From the beginning of the foundations of the world, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had this massive plan to create you for such a time as this, in this moment in history, to make an impact for those around you. He didn't make a mistake. Let me just tell you, no matter how you enter the world, he didn't make a mistake. John, our boy back in sound, his mom was raped, and he's a product of rape. But let me just tell you, God did not make a mistake when he formed that life inside his mom, no matter how the action took place. He's given his testimony many times throughout our church history here. Of his mom, he'd have to take a shower and take all of his uh, belongings that had value with him because his mom was a drug addict and he'd, she'd steal them. He'd have to take his wallet, his watch, everything. Everything that meant anything, he'd take it into the shower, lock the door, take a shower. This is how his life was. He spent time in, in, juvenile, in juvie with my dad who ran the place. <laughs> but let me just tell you, John, you were born for such a time as this. You were called. You were not a mistake. Each one of us in this place, each one of you in this room, and, I, and I, I know there's hardship. I know there's things along the way, and I know there's others that are supposed to be here with us right now. There's injustices. There was lives taken too soon. They're supposed to be here. But let me just tell you, while Jesus was on the cross, I, I, I just have these weird theories. Anybody else read the Bible? You're like, man, that was probably because of this. I feel that he was posted up at an elevated position on the cross because he wanted to see who he was dying for because vision gives pain a purpose. I believe he wanted to see the faces. I believe he wanted to see the Pharisees. I believe he wanted to see the Sadducees and the priests and, and the mockers and the soldiers and the ones that even loved him and knew him as Lord and Savior and those who didn't. I believe he wanted to see. And then it comes to a moment in time and one of the gospels says, he says, forgive them for they know not what they've done. What a position of love. Even those, even my accusers, even those who I disagree with, even those who, who hate me right now, even my greatest enemies, forgive them for they know not what they've done. Our outward expression comes from this inner place of intimacy. The Bible says freely we receive, freely we give. We can't give something that we don't have and we can't explain something we don't have a revelation of. Jesus came so that we would have this, this, this love and this this system, this process, this journey, this miracle to salvation and eternity and being connected back to the Father called Jesus Christ. And when I get that, all of a sudden I get the kingdom. When I understand that, I understand the kingdom. When I understand that, I understand everything that's going on right now. <laughs> Do you know that God has a narrative in everything? From the beginning of time to the end of time, there is a narrative. 
And I'll be honest, I don't want to step in the way of that narrative. There's things that we are called to. My opinion, I don't think the Pharisees were called to Pilate to tell him to go how to do his, tell him how to do his job. Sometimes we get caught up in the things that we're not supposed to be caught up in. Facebook. Sometimes we're engaging in areas that are just creating division. Sometimes we just need to shut up and pray. But then there's times we're called to speak up and pray. There's times we're called to things. There's times we're called to stand up for things and stand up for righteousness and stand up for what we feel is right. I was studying this theologian last night. I couldn't sleep. So I started looking up this theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Is that how you say it? Bonhoeffer. I was like, wow, that's a dude that stood up for some things to his death. Stood up against Nazi Germany. Stood up against wrong things that were happening. You should read about him. It's good. But in the process, revealing the love of the Father. In the process, revealing the redeeming grace of Jesus. In the process, revealing the mercy of the Lord. It's amazing. So Hebrew 12, 2 says this. I'm going to read it again. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. First, Second Corinthians 6, 2 says this. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now, today, this moment, is the day of salvation. I just, I believe this. We're living in some really weird, awkward times. There's, there's decisions as a leader of an organization here and at the fire department. Um, and even thinking yesterday, what a monumental, uh, honorable day 9-11 is. And what it means to our nation and what it means to so many that have sacrificed on that day and since that day and even prior to that day for our freedoms. But I can't think of a greater sacrifice than Jesus Christ to even pay the cost for that. I reposted yesterday my daughter, Evelyn. She's so sweet. And um, her hero is Billy Graham. (laughs) I'm really proud of that. Last week, she loves listening to my messages. She loves kids' class. So during the week, usually Sunday nights, she'll listen to my messages every single week. Is she 10? She's 10. She's having a birthday in like two weeks, all right? I know I'm within a year right now. And uh, so last Sunday night, she's, she's watching, she just goes to the computer and she just watches these messages from Billy Graham. And I'm like, hey, Ev, did you listen to mine yet? No, Dad. I was like, you're listening to Billy Graham and not me? She's like, sorry. But yesterday, all the girls but her went to a volleyball game. I had to stay home and get some things ready for a wedding. And, and uh, we didn't know if we were going to all be able to go at the same time. Anyway, she's like, Dad, did you see Billy Graham's speech and his message that he gave right after 9-11? I was like, no, I didn't. Or if I did, I don't remember it 20 years ago as a young man. And she's like, it's really good, Dad. You should listen to it. You want to watch it right now? (laughs) 
Yes, I'll turn off Ohio State football right now as our one touchdown back, and we watched it. And she's like, it was a minute and like 45 seconds, and, and she's like, the full version's even better. Do you want to watch the full version? I was like, no, that's where I cut it off. No, no, I don't. But I reposted it, and just the framework of standing up that that was an act of terrorist and acknowledging evil, right? I'm not asking anybody, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not pledging for us to bury our head in the sand and not acknowledge evil and not to confront sin and not to confront wrong. But what I'm saying is the way Billy Graham did this was amazing. He confronted the act of terror, but then spoke on the grace of Jesus. And knowing that only Jesus can connect us in unity. Only Jesus can connect a nation after an act of division and terror, right? And I'm thinking, man, if you could, you could substitute so many words in there for what we're going through now. And I'm thinking that was a public display of affection to every believer and unbeliever on this planet. That's Jesus. So you have these mirrors. And, and I just, they're more of a like, man, put that somewhere. Or maybe next time you see any mirror that's bigger than that. I want you to look in that mirror and what I want you to see is Jesus. Just hold it in front of you and just look in it. Try to at least see your eye <laughs> or your nose or something. Just look in that. Jesus didn't die to make you valuable. He died because you're valuable. were the only one on this planet he still would have went to that cross for you if you were the only one that could ever appear in that little mirror he would have done it for you he did do it for you and he paid the price for every single thing going on on this planet right now and he not just died he didn't just die for you he died as you I love, we say this a lot here. The moment you believe in Jesus, you get saved. The moment you realize he believes in you, you get transformed. There's a difference of just believing in him for heaven and him realizing how much he loves you and believes in you. And he not only loves you, he likes you and he loves you and he likes you and he wants to spend time with you and he loves you. I think I was in my mid-20s before I ever heard or, or of a of an adult recollection of hearing Jesus loved me. I knew he died for me. I knew he would pay the price for sin. I knew that if I was good enough, I would make it to heaven. And if I tried better, I would be sinless enough to maybe he'd love me, maybe. But just, he just loves you, like period. Jesus loves you, period. I want my life to be this public display of affection that not only pleases the Lord and brings Him glory, but that I hope reflects a part of Jesus like a mirror to those around me. Why don't you stand with me? I just want to pray for you. At the end of service, since we're all saved now, Basically, Corey led us through the whole prayer of salvation, every single person in the room. So now we have a church that's 100% entirely saved. So congratulations, the best day of your life, because we did say today is the day of salvation. 
reality, we don't just assume everybody here knows Jesus as Messiah, that there's not needs, that there's not prayer points. So there'll be a team up here that, that will be ready to pray for you and be honored to spend some time with you. But I wanna go back to that verse and close this way. It says, today is the day of salvation. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The salvation in that, in that context, we have a ministry here called Sozo Ministry that Lisa Scott leads. And it's, and it's a healing, deliverance, prayer, Holy Spirit kind of ministry. And that word sozo is the word here for salvation. It's the Greek word sozo. And it means saved, healed, and delivered. Not just saved for eternity, but healed, walking in healing. Not just physical healing, emotional healing, mental healing, spiritual healing, and delivered delivered from addiction, from abuse, from bitterness, from fear. Those are things, fear's a big one right now. Hopelessness is a big one right now. Depression is a big one right now. Loneliness is a big one right now in our society. Jesus came so that we could be saved, healed, and delivered from all of that. Right in that mirror, that's, that's what he came for. You are the joy that was set before him. Just love to pray for you. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your display of affection, that your, your ultimate revelation of love, Jesus, of coming to the earth to save and to seek all of us and everything that was lost, to conquer death, hell, and the grave, Lord, to reveal your love and to invite us into this, this crazy agape love relationship, a selfless, that is sacrificial, and that is absolutely wonderful. Lord, we thank you for the blood, we thank you for the cross, and we thank you for the power of your name, and there is no name like your name. Lord, thank you for dying for us and as us. Thank you for becoming the justification and the justice for all. Thank you for being truth. When everything around us is uncertain and so many things around us are untruths, thank you. You are truth. You are, you are valid truth. You are the foundation of truth. You have set us free, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Bless you, Father. Let our lives publicly display your goodness all around us. Lord, right now, just if you could just hold your hands out. Freely you receive, freely you give. Just right now in your own way, just asking, Lord, let us receive your love right now. Let us receive the revelation of who you are. Let us see ourselves the way you see us. Let us see through your eyes. Let us hear you, Jesus. What do you call us? How do you see us? How are you bragging to all the angels and all of heaven about us right now. How do we see you, Jesus? But I ask right now that we receive an impartation of revelation of you, Jesus, an impartation of your goodness, an impartation of, of the way we see ourselves and the world and those around us, God. Let us see with your eyes. Let us see from heaven's perspective. Let us see from the eyes of the cross. Let us see from the perspective of the power of the blood. Let us see from your character, Jesus. Lord, we thank you. Bless you, Father. It's in your name we pray. 
If you need prayer for anything, I will say I'd like to call out a word of knowledge. If you have back pain or you have any chronic back issues going on or you've been struggling or just suddenly something with your back, uh, they're gonna pray for you for back healing and I feel that you're gonna walk out of your free. Also shoulder pain, shoulder pain, any heart diagnosis. And, uh, and if you have any other needs, please come up. If you don't know Jesus as Messiah, we'd love to pray for you. If you have relationship things, you need reconciliation, we love you, we wanna pray for you. You guys have an amazing day, God bless you. I uh, hope to see you serving this week through the Miami County Serve and also at Declare next week. Love you guys.